Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. Welcome back to the Lawfather Podcast. As always, we're here in Lawfather headquarters. As you can see, we have uh, our little Lawfather guy behind me here and uh, very happy to start another week. Lots to kind of unpack and go over. Uh, Lots that that has happened over the last uh, week. Well, actually probably a little less than that, probably last five days. So let's jump into a couple things. And you know, I was very, uh, very blessed to be on DJ Eakin's podcast last week. Uh, I believe that was released on Friday, and uh, you know, we talked about a lot of different things, and we talked about a lot of, lot of the things in the news lately between uh, police and civilians, and in terms of arrests and and things like that. So, um, wanted to jump into one of the things that I talked about on his show, and those of you who listen to my show a lot know that I'll mention legal terms, but then I break them down. Right. And I try not to use legal terms as much as possible and try to give really a a description and understanding of what these things are and and what they mean. And and I used a term during Eakin's Eakin's podcast, and um, I I stand by that term. I I absolutely do. I I said that uh, in the, the Minnesota, the recent Minnesota shooting, that the officer was grossly negligent. Okay. Uh, I do truly believe that. But I realized afterwards, and we were 10 steps ahead, and and when you are a guest on a show, right, versus with this show, I can go, hey, I want to go back to something that I had talked about. Really didn't want to do that and and break the flow uh, of it being, like I said, being that I was a guest and there was another guest on the show as well. Um, So I didn't want to make the show about me, but uh, since this show is the Lawfather podcast, I suppose it is about me. Um, So... We're going to, I want to talk about what gross negligence means. All right. So those of you who weren't listening, we were talking about the Minnesota shooting. And in that there was an officer who was trying to arrest, uh, um, uh, guy's name is Dante. Uh, I can't remember his last name. Um, but anyway, he was, they were trying to arrest him for what sounded like a warrant, uh, based on the audio and the video. And you see the one officer move away. Another officer kind of come in from the side and, uh, Dante then try to break away or does actually break away from the one officer and gets in the car. Uh, you want a more detailed breakdown of it, listen to DJ Eakin's podcast because I break it down from a lot of different angles. All right. But here's the thing. I mentioned that this officer who comes in and yells taser, 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 but actually drew her gun um, was grossly negligent. So um, I want to talk about what gross negligence means because I, I, I said it and, and we just kept going. And it wasn't until afterwards that I said, wow, you know what does do the people listening really have an understanding of gross negligence because it doesn't necessarily carry as much of a meaning just as a word, right? Now, from a legal perspective, when I throw gross negligence out there, that means it's really bad, okay? Gross negligence is is negligence that is really, really bad. And, and the exact legal definition in Florida uh, means that the defendant's conduct was so reckless or wanting in care that it constituted a conscious disregard or indifference to the life, safety, or rights of persons exposed to such conduct, okay? So those of you who were listening and, and didn't necessarily know what gross negligence was, right? And I, like I said, I threw it out there and, and I try to avoid using the legal terms, right? 
it means it's really bad, okay? Gross negligence means somebody did something really, really, really bad, all right? There's a couple things that kind of kick off when you do that on the legal side, especially on the civil side of it, uh, but gross negligence, and, and you know, I, I also said something. I said, I don't think that, that what that person did, what that officer did was criminal, and you know, look, it's, it's tough to make legal analysis in the second with a split-second decision because because you start thinking about the different aspects of the law as time goes on and you go, well, wait, if something is grossly negligent and someone dies as a result, it likely is criminal because it's likely to be able to result in a manslaughter charge. Okay. So that said, I, I think anytime you have gross negligence and someone dies as a result of gross negligence, you have a high likelihood of being able to prove a criminal charge of manslaughter, manslaughter. Okay. Uh, I really do, uh, and I think that when you see that, it's a, a disregard for the indifference to the life, safety, or rights of persons exposed to such conduct. That's what gross negligence is, all right? And that's how that works. So um, that, that's what that looks like, all right? Um, to give you another, a more real-life example, not that this isn't real life, but a more common example, if you will, of what would be considered gross negligence, something that we see all the time here uh, as a personal injury law firm, all right, DUI cases, all right? So you're hurt as a result of someone that is uh, driving drunk. That person driving drunk uh, can be considered to be grossly negligent, all right? Um, what gross negligence does in a civil sense in Florida, it allows you to seek what's called punitive damages. So not to get off on this whole big thing, maybe we can have a whole show on what damages are, but there's compensatory damages, which are your regular damages. They compensate you. Punitive damages, which are meant to punish you. All right. Those are the two types. If you have gross negligence, you can open up the door for punitive damages. Something I've done before. Uh, it's something that I use anytime I have a DUI case come in. Uh, I, I can tell you if if you have, I've done it with a truck driver who uh, was driving really, really recklessly. Okay, uh, but as a little aside, just speeding alone because I get this question sometimes. Just speeding alone is not enough to make somebody driving in a grossly negligent manner. Okay. It doesn't, case law says it really doesn't matter if the person's doing a hundred miles an hour in a 30 mile per hour zone. If your only basis is speed, then you lose. Okay. So that's what that is. And, you know, one other piece that I want to touch on with that is this, uh, one of the other pieces that came up is, you know, and, and this is why these discussions are so good to have and, and to be able to sit down with people with different viewpoints and actually have a discussion and not have it be a shutdown. You either share my viewpoint or you don't, right? And I think that's what a lot of these things have come to is you either agree with what, with what I say or you don't agree with what I say. And if you don't agree with what I say, we can't have a conversation. And I, I just, I don't think that's positive. That's not a positive place to be because you can't accomplish as much. Right. And so when you can have an actual conversation, which is what we did, one of the things that came out and, and you know, I, I stand by things that I say and I do. I, I mean this. Right. If you look at a lot of the incidents that have happened, right, the, the common thread generally seems to be there's some sort of noncompliance. OK, now, look, I, I said this and I say it now. There is no sort of noncompliance unless someone, sh you know, has a gun and they're pointing it at you that, that really should result in 
you know, someone dying as a result. Okay. It, so I'm not saying that fits, but I'm saying on a, on a most basic level, right? The non-compliance is, is a piece that if we can help change the thought process on that, then maybe we can make some advancements. And I don't think there's a one size fits all fix. It, you can't just go, let's fix the police. And you can't just say, well, let's fix the people who are interacting with the police. It's not, it's just, it's not that simple. You can't take simplified measures to, to fix complicated problems. You just can't. Okay. So one of the things that I had mentioned, what was that compliance piece, right? And it wasn't just a, hey, comply because it's the right thing to do. But here's the thing from the law enforcement side, it messes with your head sometimes because you don't know. You, you don't know why that person isn't doing what you're telling them to do, right? You, what does that person know that I don't know? And, and you're always battling that, okay? And, and the common example that they throw out in training is you, you don't know if that guy just went and robbed a convenience store, right? You don't know if that guy just beat the crap out of his girlfriend. You just don't. You don't know what happened prior to that time. So all of a sudden, you start something that is very routine, and all of a sudden, that person goes, no, I'm not doing that. It does. It messes with your head, okay? But that said, the, the point of where I was trying to get to was that my point was, hey, you know, have a lawyer fight it. Get it. Have, do what they say, fight it in court, don't fight it on the street, okay? Because on the street, you're fighting a battle you can't win. In, in court, you can. And, and look, if, if, if we just had that shut down, my viewpoint is this, your viewpoint is this, and we can't have a conversation, we wouldn't have gotten to what became a very positive outcome in it. And it's something that I, I, I ask you as my listeners, I'd like to hear ideas from you. It, what we came to was, and, and Ekin brought this up, well, not everybody has access to lawyers. Very, very valid point. Something that I didn't think of in my analysis. But we ended with, how can we change that? How can we open up that access? And that's something that I've been thinking about since then. And I have a few ideas. And I, I think that uh, you know he and I will probably have a future conversation about some of those ideas. But I want to open it up to you, my listeners. I want to hear from you. Lawfather at TampaLawfather.com, all right? Or shoot me a text at 855-LAWFATHER. I want to hear ideas from you of how we can open up the access. The more ideas that we can get, the better off we are. Because like I said, there is not one simple fix to a complicated problem. So let's take some baby steps. Let's see if we can get something going, at least here in Tampa, all right? So I challenge you with that. Now, Related to this and coming up here uh, this week and at the end of the day, I, I hope for the sake of all of those across the country and all of those in Minneapolis that we don't see riots, we don't see non-peaceful protests. If people want to protest and they want to protest peacefully, that's fine. Okay, I just hope for the sake of the cities across the country in this country that we don't see unpeaceful or non-peaceful protests, okay? Uh, I just, you know, look, the, the closing arguments are happening in the Chauvin trial this week, and it's, you know, it's going to be, I think, very highly charged, and I think people are going to be very emotional with it. Now, I don't see any way that, that Chauvin gets off, right? Now, 
what I think is going to become a problem is the level that the bar was set by the state. And by the state, I mean Minnesota. And by that, I mean the state attorney's office. Okay. Now, look, they have all the facts. I don't have all the facts, right? They have every piece of discovery and they can essentially do what they want. And I don't mean that in a negative, but here's the thing. I, I want to say they may have overcharged on this slightly, and I think it has potential to create problems for them. I think the highest charge, I think I believe it was a second-degree murder charge, and I think in an instance like this, that becomes a very hard charge to prove, okay? Yes, I think it's what people wanted. I think people wanted to see an actual murder charge in here, right, versus just a manslaughter charge. But I think you create a... a a different dynamic when you do that because now you've made this higher charge and, and you've made it almost unattainable, right? And when I did, and go back if you want to listen to the breakdown of the charges and, and what I think the outcome will be, but I, I, I don't see how, I still don't see how the state has any chance of being successful on a second degree murder charge. You have to get a unanimous jury. That That is the rule. And I I think you're going to have people who waver in that jury. I think at the end of the day, you're going to get the uni- the jury to unanimously agree that there is some charge that is proper, okay? I just don't think you're going to see it on the second-degree murder charge. And, and what I fear for in that is all of a sudden we're going to have this, how dare you? How dare you not find for the second-degree murder charge? Look, as egregious as the whole thing may have been, I can't find a legal analysis that supports that. I just can't, especially in the criminal world where we're talking about reasonable doubt. And you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt all of the elements of each individual charge. Okay. Now, look, uh, there was there were only seven, seven witnesses that testified for the defense. All right. Um, not necessarily a lot for a big, complicated murder trial. So... That either tells us one of two things. Number one, the defense feels that the state didn't meet their burden. The burden is on the state. Look, however wrong you think Chauvin was, he is still innocent until proven guilty. All right? That is what the standard that we go by is. Look, I I know that there's people out there that go, no, no, no. You know what? In in the real world, you're you're guilty until you're proven innocent. Well, no, I I don't. I got to go with what the law says. All right. And I believe in our system. So if I believe in our system, I'm going to sit here and beat the drum all day long. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how wrong you were. Doesn't matter your race, your gender, your anything else. Okay. You're innocent until proven guilty. That is what our system is. That is what our system is based on. That is what I believe in. And that is what we are going to go with until, until that changes. I don't think that's something that will ever change because I think that's something that is kind of a bedrock of our system. All right, so that is what I see there. Now, look, a couple of the witnesses for the defense, one was a training expert. I, I still don't understand how you're going to pull kneeling on someone's neck into any sort of training. Look, I spent six years in law enforcement. I can't tell you one time that I remember any training that said kneel on somebody's neck. All right. Um, now, if if memory serves me correctly, 
Okay. Um, and, and it's something I was actually talking to Jason about this before the show and I wasn't going to bring it up, but you know, I think it's important. And you know, those of you in law enforcement who say I'm wrong, please let me know. Cause it's been, I left law enforcement in 2012. All right. So we're going on nine years now. So it's been some time, but if memory serves me correctly, it, a, an acceptable form of control for somebody who was prone, uh, laying on their stomach was a knee across basically your shoulder blades, okay? And you could use that to gain control. Now, look, it's been some time, all right? Um, and actually, as I'm thinking of the mechanics behind it, it may actually be low back, right? Basic bottom line is if you're trying to control somebody, uh, and I believe it was low back because you could have your knee in the low back, on the low back to keep the person down and get their hands behind their back to put handcuffs on them. So nowhere near the neck, okay? Um, look, Training says that. And, and look, if you're in the middle of a fight and you're in the middle of things happening, bang, 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 right? Things happen. You miss your area. But if the area is the low back and you hit the neck, it's a big miss, right? Especially, I, I, I believe uh, Floyd was at least six feet. So you're probably talking about missing by three feet, you know? And oh, by the way, we're talking minutes, almost 10 minutes and not seconds, not fractions of a second. So... You know, I, I just can't understand how they're going to get by the training aspect to it. Now, where I think that the defense has their best chance of being successful is the toxicology. All right. I absolutely do. I, I don't know how as a state. Well, I know how you can get around it in a sense, because you're going to want to show that that the drugs didn't cause the drugs in his system didn't cause his death. The kneeling on his neck did. Right. And the question is going to become, can you prove that beyond a reasonable doubt, right? Because all the defense has to do is get one, one juror to go, you know what? I believe the doctors. I believe the one doctor that the defense had on the stand, just one, just one doctor, right? And the thought that, hey, he had fentanyl in his system and the fentanyl shut his system down. And, it's, and the fentanyl is what asphyxiated him, right? Caused him to stop breathing. Did it? I don't know. I, you know what? I wasn't there, right? I don't, you know what? I don't know if that's an answer that we're ever going to truly have the answer to. Because I, I think that you're always going to have one camp that says 100% it was the kneeling on the neck. And you're going to have the other camp that says 100%. It was the fentanyl. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a lawyer. I look at it from black and white, right? I look at it and go, does this fit what the law says or does this fit what the law says? Now, if the two pieces come together, right, and you can't, you can't separate them, I think you'll see that he's convicted, okay? I think at the end of the day, you're going to see that he is going to be convicted of a manslaughter charge. I do. That's my opinion. That's my opinion based on the legal analysis. Okay. Because I don't see a way that his actions didn't at least contribute to it. Okay. Um, so that is, that is where, you know, I kind of look at it and I see 
So one of the, the, the lowest charge that they have is second-degree manslaughter, and they just have to prove that there was culpable negligence whereby the person creates an unreasonable risk and consciously takes chances of causing death or great bodily harm to another. To me, that's a slam dunk. I don't know how you defend that based on what we see in the video. So um, yeah, I know I broke it down a lot uh, previously, but I think it's important because, hey, we're going to have a verdict here most likely this week. Now, one of the questions may be, well, what happens? The jury can't agree, right? What happens if we have a jury that goes, eh, we don't know. We can't make a decision. And and you get a, a non-unanimous type, type I don't want to say verdict, a, non, a non-unanimous vote on what the verdict would be, all right? Judge is going to send them back the jury room see if they can figure it out try it again and then uh, after that if they can't figure it out if they can't come to some conclusion unanimously you're going to have what's called a hung jury and that'll lead to what's considered a mistrial and when you have a mistrial that means that it didn't exist all right it's weird but um, basically you can do a retrial. <laughs> All the, the two or three weeks that this trial has been going on, it would be as if it never happened. You'd wipe the slate clean and the state would decide whether or not they would want to go to trial. Now, in a case like this, I fully expect that the state would want to go to trial on a lesser case. And I can tell you, I've been a part of a misdemeanor case on the defense side that the judge declared a mistrial, not because of the jury, but because of, uh, uh, well, misconduct by the state and it sounds worse when you say it but just from a a, from a rules of procedure uh, standpoint um, some procedural pieces but anyway judge declared a mistrial and uh, you know because it was a smaller misdemeanor the state goes yeah we're just going to get rid of this charge it's not worth going through another trial again right that's how that works Okay, they don't have to try it again, but you see in more in more high profile and not necessarily just high profile cases, but more serious charge cases, they'll go ahead and try it again. Right. Unless there's something that was really deficient and they go, well, it doesn't make any sense to try it again because we had a piece that was so deficient that we were just lucky to get a hung jury. Right. Um, I don't think you're going to see that. In the Chauvin case, I I would fully anticipate if we have a hung jury and therefore a mistrial that the state will try it again. Uh, but for the sake of everything, and not that my words, I think, carry a lot of power, but those of you out there who are in Minnesota or just in the cities across the country, regardless of the verdict, let's just keep it peaceful. Let's not have the violence, the looting. Let's just, hey... Let's let the system play itself out, okay? Just because you want somebody to be convicted of second-degree murder doesn't mean that the statutes and laws allow it, okay? Let's stick with what the statutes and the laws allow, all right? So that is my take on the Chauvin case. Uh, As I mentioned about midway through the show, I absolutely... Welcome any ideas that any of you have on how we can open up access to lawyers so that maybe we can stop seeing incidents. Maybe we can help be part of a solution and not be part of a, we're just going to complain that there's a problem. All right. That's what I would like to see happen. And 
I would very much like to be a part of that. So let's make that happen. All right. Like I said, I welcome your suggestions, uh, 855-LAW-FATHER. You can text me if you want. You can call and talk to me about it or lawfather at tampalawfather.com, right? Those two avenues get you directly to me. Uh, the email address is the email address for the show, all right? As always, follow me on social media. Listen to DJ Eakin's podcast just because, not just because I was on it, but also because it's a great podcast, all right? And, um, yeah, that is the show for the week. Maybe we'll break down Chauvin once we have a verdict and we'll talk about why, or maybe we won't need to. I don't know. We'll take a look as that happens. And, uh, you know, those of you who are listening to this on Monday, have a great week. Use this, as, use this opportunity to motivate yourself for the week. Do something good for the week. Do something good for yourself. Do something good for your family. That is the show for today. Right from Lawfather headquarters, Lawfather out. I'm Jerry P. Tuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out radioinfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>